theyeshiva.net. The answer to your question yesterday, you remember what you asked? Huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not sure after the answer you'll be able to go to sleep, but... His uh, question was, if the, if the pnimius of everything is mamalakalalman, the chius of elikus, so what's the difference between Kedusha and not Kedusha? Everything is holy. It's true, but it's also not true. Meaning, it's true. The Pnimius, the Chius of everything is Halakus. Without it, it wouldn't exist. And it wouldn't have its substance, it wouldn't have its chemistry, and it wouldn't have its makeup. Not spiritual, not physical. The difference between Kedusha and not Kedusha, so the term that's always used by the Balatanya, and already much earlier, Darizal and Zohar, for the antithesis of Gdusha's klippa. What does klippa mean? A shell, a husk, a cover-up. That's the question. How much is the, is the Kedusha in everything experienced and felt in the character of the one receiving it? Kedusha means that the inner holiness, the inner divinity is transparent. The question is, on what level? Transparency itself has endless levels. And Klippa means that the chius is there, but there's some husk, there's some shell that covers it up. Again, there's endless degrees, how, how dense, how thick, how opaque, how dark, Klippa below, etc., etc. So even the Klippa couldn't exist without the without the godliness. Well, Malik Alman means that ultimately the the nekuda of everything, both its individual character and its generic character in which it's similar to other things, comes from the chius of Alakus. But if the one who is receiving it is not aware of it, may completely not be aware of it, on the contrary even, so then, you'll say that that chiyos is, to some degree or another, again, more or less, covered and eclipsed. So that's the difference between Kedusha and not Kedusha. That's on the most basic level. I mean, there's more, but that's basically the, the difference. And the Bidiklip itself should be the condition for the Shalosh below that? Like? Yeah, 100%. What is... Uh, what is, re- what is revelation on one level is concealment on a higher level, for a higher level. Yeah. What is it? Just where I am at. On some level too, but, but you'll say there's, there's still a difference. You'll say something is holy, something is unholy. Shabbos is holy, and Sunday is not holy, right? <laughs> Shabbos is a day that there's a certain Gilu of Elikus in the time that makes it holy. Yeah. I'm not totally off of asking this question, but is 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 that what is that what Korach was asking also? That cool that cool kadosh that we're all You're not off you're not off at all. It's a very true what you say. You're on, you're actually on. Yeah, it's a good morning. That's what Korach's question was, yeah. Kairach said it. He said, "Kol ha'ede kulam kedoshim uveseichem Hashem umaduat isnasu al kal Hashem." You're 100 percent right. Kairach said, "Everybody is holy." 
why are you exalting yourself on God's community? What Kairach was telling, basically, to Moshe and Aaron is, everybody is holy. Why do you need a Moshe? Why do you need an Aaron? Why do you need holiness? Everything is really holy. In fact, the Balatanya writes in Lekudat Torah Parshas Kairach that Kairach was actually speaking about a messianic world. <laughs> he was just a little ahead of his times. In other words, Kairach was onto something. The Chazal have a very famous expression about Kairach. Kairach shepikeachaya mara lishtuzu. Kairach was so brilliant. What happened to him? How did he become so meshuga? So the question is, how do they know he was so brilliant? Maybe he was stupid. <laughs> it says somewhere, it says on Moshe that he was the most humble person. Don't say anywhere on Kairach in Chumash when he introduces Kairach, Vayikach Kairach. On Shloyma it says, Vayechka Mikola Adam, right? The Tanakh is not embarrassed to say that Shloyma was the wisest of all people. Kairach doesn't say anything. But Chazal knew that he was a Pikeach from the story itself. In other words, his ta'ina to Moshe Rabbeinu had a lot of depth to it. It was premature. It was wrong. But there was, there was a very powerful nakuda there. That in the ultimate yichud, in the ultimate story, right, everything is one. If you go back to the womb of existence, it's all divine. If you go back to the original womb, everything is divine. There's no boundaries. There shouldn't be boundaries. He's at that level. And the bad, the, the bad, you're, yeah, you're right. In the Kudatayra, the Balatanya says that, that, that Kairach was onto something. He had a very deep soul, but sometimes deep souls, <laughs> the energy could be misplaced in a wrong time, in a wrong situation. They're right if they're quiet. Huh? In other words, it wasn't Stam, we look at it on the surface level. Kairach was just, you know, this low-life, this egoistical, egotistical, self-centered rabble-rouser. And, you know, he was just jealous or whatever the explanations are. Which, yeah, that's how it, every, everything that you look at, you could look at it from so many different lenses. More external. And it's all true in, in the world that you're looking at it. The lens that we use to see reality is what's going to define reality. It's always that way. And when you have more subtle lenses, you could see more subtle uh, more subtle things. It's easier to deal with that. He's a rebel rouser. He gets destroyed. I know. It, it's just... He got destroyed because of this. He was to, to a level because... No, no. I, Kairach made a big mistake. I'm not saying... You have to also understand that. So I'm saying the, the, yeah, the point is that Kairach's Taina on a deeper level had very much depth to it, even though he was absolutely wrong. <laughs> he was tapping into something. He was tapping into the place that's beyond Havdalah. <laughs> he was tapping into the place where you don't have to make Havdalah. As you said yesterday with the, the waterfall of the cubbies. Yeah. Destroyed. Yeah. He's having such a high level yeah. that can't contain the... Yeah, yeah. Kairach was the first one who said, imagine, no borders, no nations, no heaven, no earth, no distinctions, no religion too, <laughs> no genders, 
All these things are tribal and primitive and division just creates division and this. In the real world, yeah, no clothes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he said that, huh? Until yeah, and there's a, there's a soulfulness there. You could just dismiss it as, no, there's a, there's an MS there. That's why it has some kind of attachment. Of course. Yeah. In fact, it says the Kairach persuaded, uh, much, uh, many of the Jews. Uh, 250 Rashi Sanhedrois, 250 scholars and leaders were on his side. They say that the Apterov, he was one of the great masters in Aptin in Poland. The Oyev Yisrael, he has a civic called Oyev Yisrael. So they say that he once said, they were once talking about Kairach, and he once said, that's what they say, that believe me, if you were there, he said he remembers, from the previous reincarnation he remembers, he said, it would have been so easy to be... Uh, to become part of Kairach's, uh, Kairach's uh, gang. So they asked him, which team were you on? He said, I remained neutral. But, but that's how powerful it was that I decided to remain neutral. You understand? The Chayza of Lublin was a levy. The Sir of Lublin, Rabbi Yaakov <coughs> Horowitz. His name was Horowitz. So he was a levy. So Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Halevi Horowitz, he's known as the Chir, the Seer of Lublin, the Chayz of Lublin. He would say, the Heilike Zayde Kairach. When he would speak, the Holy Zayde Kairach. He was a Levi, Kairach was a Levi. No, Chayz of Lublin didn't know that he was swallowed up. Yeah. The Pshat is that uh, there was a Kedusha there, <laughs> like in everything. But the question is how it's revealed, how it's translated, what time, what context. So yeah, it's actually very... Uh, Does the word Kodesh mean um, separation? Yeah. Rashi, Kodeshim to you, Prushim to you. The word Kodesh means aloof, sublime, distinction, distinctiveness. Even Hareyat Mekudeshasli, by a chuppah, right? So Toysavis, one of the interpretations is you're distinguished, you're consecrated. Like hectish, right? You consecrate it, you make it holy, it also becomes, you say this is muktash, it's dedicated, it's designated. Does it also mean it's this like it's Also, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it means it's both sides. Right, right, right. And Lysia Kadesha, yeah. So those are, that's the answer to some of the questions. There's, a, there's, there's more to this, but uh, on a basic level, I think this is, uh, this is very true. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, but and Mamali, you understand? Uh-huh. You want more explanation for Saivav? Take a look in the in the brackets. If you take a look, Tzadik um, Tess, yeah, Tzadik Tess, column one. Or page 197. You have it? It's, yeah, in the brackets. Yeah, Vizehu. The line starts Debriya. The, the first column, Tzadik Tess in the Maimer. You see? He's describing Soiviv and he says, Vizehu koila sher chafetz Hashem asu. Sheikir ha'ishavos, humabchines chafetz Hashem uritsoyna ha'alyan. 
There's a maimer from the Balatanya in the Megillah. Yaviyu levush malchus. That's from the Megillah. In that, in the explanation on that maimer. So he says, Shabachol nivri yesh ham shachas hachiyus mabchinas mamale kalalman, v'soyvav kalalman, kama, v'sheikirai savus mabchinas soyvav kalalman einsham. Generally, as the Balatanya explains elsewhere, in the psukim that describe creation, we see two themes. Often, we say, Chazal say in Pirkei Yavaz, Basara Mamaris Nivra The world was created through ten utterances, sayings, Mamaris, from the word Vayoymer. You open up Parshas Bereshis, and the whole world comes into existence through Hashem speaking, so to speak. However, we are to understand the idea of God speaking, but it's constantly, it starts off, Vayoymer Elikim, Yehiyar. He said, let there be light, there's light. And so every single day, the creation happens through what? Through Vayoymer. That's what the Chazal mean. Basara Mamara is through ten sayings the world was created. Vayoymer Elikim, Yehirakiya, let there be a firmament on Monday. Vayoymer Elikim, Tatshe Haaretz, let there be vegetation. On Wednesday, Vayoymer Elikim, Yehimairis, there should be luminaries. And so on and so forth. Fish and mammals. And ultimately, on Friday, Vayoymer Elikim, Nasa Adam. Let us make Adam, let us make the human being, man. But Salmeinu Kidmusen. So it's all Vayoymer. In Tehillim we say, Kapitel Lamed Gimel, we say it Shabbos in the morning, many Kehillas say the Kapitel Tehillim before, B'Sukkah de Zimra, Koyl Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu Uvaruach Piv Kol Same idea, through the word of the divine heaven was created, and through the breath of his mouth, all Tzvam, all of its legions. Again, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, right. The bracha that Chazal made for every uh, drink and for many foods is the generic bracha. Baruch Hashem Alekeinu Malachaylam Shachakoyl Niyah Bidvaroi. Everything is Niyah Niyah from the word Haya Hoyve. Everything came into existence. The is of everything is Dvaroi His word from His word through His word. On the other hand, there's a pasuk in Tehillim. We also say Chabbos morning. Koyl Asher Chafetz. Hashem also. What he desired, he did, which is the posse that he brings here. It's in Tehillim, I think, Kuflamid Hey. We say it again, Shabbos morning, many before the Hoidus, before the Halal Agadal. In other words, it's desire. What he desired, he did. Why here do we use the metaphor of speech? And here we use the metaphor of desire, chafetz, which is ratzen. So here in the brackets, he says it's very bekitzer, and he references to other places. But this is the difference. Both are true. There is the world from the perspective of Mamala Kalaman, and the world from the perspective of Sev of Kalaman. You want another marshal? I'll give you another marshal. I don't know how accurate it is, and all these metaphors are obviously flawed through and through for obvious reasons. But uh, but uh, just to, just to get the hang of it, at least on some level, touch it. Anybody who ever ran a successful company, uh, corporation, organization, whatever it is, knows that there's two very different components 
that are necessary. And in each organization and corporation and business, you know, it has to be set up according to the particular character of that organization. But the theme of these two components is generic overall. You have a large business going, a lot, a lot of employees, a lot of different departments, a lot going on. There's two separate types of leadership that are necessary. And when leaders don't distinguish between the two, they often create havoc and chaos. And it translates usually in uh, long-term revenue and success, or the lack of it. On one hand, you need what you may want to call managers. The function of the manager is to oversee what I would call the details, the day-to-day execution of the goals of this particular office or company or business or corporation or movement or organization, whatever it is. That manager must be detailed-oriented. A computer guy comes to him and says, the computer is not opening. So I have a time for computer. I have time for, for your computer. <laughs> well, the janitor comes to him and says, somebody took away the broom. I have time to think about brooms. Yeah, I need a broom. <laughs> you got to get a broom. I mean, either you want to go to the store or hire somebody, but we need a broom and we need somebody to fix the computer. The person came 20 minutes late. So the person who's dependent on him is sitting for 20 minutes, doesn't have what to do. It's supposed to be 8.30. He came 8.55, right? That's what you have to deal with. You got to look at the details. The details of every person and their job. And it's a very detailed-oriented position. Then you have to have, let's call it the CEO, who also is involved and is even more involved. But what's his, what, what's his function? He has to look at one thing. And that is, ah, huh? maintain the vision. What do we want to accomplish here? And if the CEO, and sometimes you have CEOs, decides there's no light bulb. <laughs> so he starts changing light bulbs and gets involved in the details. Or the other hand, the manager starts saying, I don't have time for, for details. This is a big place. I look at the big picture. If they confuse jobs, then ultimately it will undermine the success of the organization or the corporation. Because primarily it needs two different perspectives. Small picture and big picture. Local and global. Zoom in and zoom out. Zoom in means I'm very, very focused on this detail. This becomes very important. And this every every worker, every employee has his time and her space and and their component, their their department and their and their uh, and their capabilities, and what they have to accomplish, and their schedule, and their paycheck. And there has to be somebody who is attentive to all of those details. And if you just, you know, push it under the rug, things won't happen, and you're going to see it. And if the person says, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this, I don't have space for this, he's ultimately betraying the position and betraying the company. On the other hand, there's somebody who has to stand back and look at the big picture. And ask one question, are we going anywhere? <laughs> you know, he has to look at the bottom line. He has to see, is this a success story or a failure? The way he sees it, it he doesn't distinguish so much 
Again, the metaphor is not completely accurate, but he, he can't distinguish between you have a computer programmer, you have a salesperson, you have a janitor, right? You have the person who's in charge on the mail. You have so many different walking pieces in this chess game. But in many ways for him there's no difference. <laughs> the question is, is the business, and Yiddish is an expression, <laughs> it's working or it's not working. So you say, but this, what do you mean? How do you compare that? The janitor just cleans up. The computer programmer is a gone He's a genius. You're right. But you need somebody to clean the room. <laughs> that you need it. And you need somebody to work on the computers. And you may have 3,000 employees. Uh, if you're Microsoft, you'll have more. And if you're Google, you'll have more. And the person on top, and of course on top itself, there's levels and levels and levels as an expression. Paltanya has an expression somewhere. Makif, makif, lamakif, makif, lamakif, makif, lamakif. Right? You can have, as we know, in management itself and in leadership itself. And here the focus has to be, if you're going to start getting involved in the individual identity and psychology. Uh, a big businessman once told me, I asked him, what's the most stressful thing? He was very stressed. What's the most stressful thing about your job? He was real estate. So I said, what? He says, it's managing the people, not the buildings. <laughs> the people is always the hardest thing. And to ma- you have to tune in. And, you know, every employee has his moods. And every person has mishagasin. And to be able to be present company excluded. Uh, but and to be able to that's a major part of the job to understand every person how you speak how you present it you know there's all these seminars that executives go to you know how huh? <laughs> we have a big mumcha in this an author by Engel so uh, you know how you criticize how you rebuke how you fire how you hire how you present expectations, disappointment, frustrations, praise, and so forth. And it's really, you have to know it with your own children at home. It's not just if you're, everybody's running a company. And sometimes the company you're running in your own house is far more valuable because it's not about money. It's about creating people, souls. So sometimes it's much more consequential. It's not only if you're going to make a million dollars or make five million dollars or make ten million dollars, hopefully, or even more, but uh, you're dealing actually with souls. And which component is more important? Well, we know the CEO gets paid more because of the overarching responsibility. But we all understand if a child comes to Tati and Mommy and says, you know, uh, my pinky, my pinky hurts. <laughs> and you turn to the child, oh, I need help with my, my last question on homework. And you turn to the child and you say, don't you understand? I run a multi-billion dollar business. I have time for your pinky? I have time for your pinky and I have time for, 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 for your question, which is the attitude sometimes of some people. Then you lost the plot. At this moment, it's all about details. It's all about getting down on the floor and connecting to that particular need of that particular person. That's what gives children the security and the confidence that they need. Some parents are like CEOs, you know, they manage a wonderful home. But the individual, the individual connection, the child doesn't feel his father's heart. If your child doesn't feel your heart, not your brains, your brains they'll feel. Jews have good IQs. Child gotta feel your heart. 
The heart is the attentiveness, the attentiveness to every drop of blood. That attentiveness to detail is critical. And when you have lower management, the personality of every employee is critical. And sometimes the guy's in the wrong job. It doesn't fit him. It doesn't fit his personality. It doesn't fit her character. And you got to focus in on everything. And if there's a piece of garbage on the floor and it's not supposed to be there, you have to know who's responsible for it. Because there's a leak. It's all about pratim. It's all about details. But if you only have that, and there's nobody who sees what we call the klal, the big picture, you'll go bankrupt. And that person can't get obsessed with details. There are, there, 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 there are people who get obsessed with details. They don't know how to delegate. They can't trust anybody else because they do everything much faster than everybody. They're smarter than everybody. They have 30 years more experience. So now you, you give over one job. You, you tell you, go make a copy. And even the copy he can't make, right? So now you stop making copies. What happens then? What happens then is you'll see that at best, your movement, your your uh, your progress is stifled. Even if there's success, it's stifled. Ichzag richtig? Okay. Yeah. And 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 you. By the way, some people by nature are good in one. Some people are are prat people, and some people are klal people. You see it immediately. It also has to do with regions of the brain, different regions of the brain. This big picture, this small picture, this detailed oriented. And each one has an indispensable value in the success of the project. Mamish indispensable. Huh? Yes. Yeah. The, and the, in the big picture, you could actually look, you could look at 10,000 employees and you don't see 10,000 people. You see one. Because what you're looking at is the bottom line. What's my agenda? What's my ultimate objective? My ultimate objective is to make money. That's true. <laughs> but how am I going to make money? Somebody was once uh, somebody was once telling me that uh, Avis uh, years ago gathered together uh, all of its employees on all levels because they said there's something. <laughs> what is our mission statement? And we have to define our mission statement. And they asked all their leaders to put on a, on a board in a few words, their mission statement. What are you about? Well, you can say we're about making money, but every company is about making money. Besides a few, maybe. But that, that's the objective. So that's not enough. I mean, everybody wants to make money. What's your uniqueness? What's your brand? What are you bringing to the world? What's your contribution to uh, planet Earth, to civilization? So uh, there were this one, that one, that one, and and the, the the boss was just rejecting everything. He says we're off, and then he put it on the board. He says to rent as many cars as possible. It sounds simple, but it's not. I I want to ask you, what's your mission statement for life? Do you have a mission statement for your life? You say, well, I, I want to breathe, I want to have a happy family. I know that. We all want to have a happy family, we want to be healthy, we want to be blessed, we want to be successful. We all know that. Like every company in the world wants to make money and be successful, and everybody wants a private yacht, and if you're a Jew, you want a few homes, even if you're not a Jew. 
But what's your mission statement in life? The mission statement is the hardest thing to write because it's everything. And most people don't even go there. You could run a company for 60 years and not have a mission statement. So Malava Malka, you know, Sagate. And Malava Malka actually has a mission statement. It's called Malava Malka, <laughs> escorting the queen or escorting. It actually has a mission statement. We call them Malava Malka, you know, uh, where's the food coming from? Is there pizza? Is there herring? Is there sponge cake? So we call it a Malava Malka. Malava Malka never have like real programs. You know, it's just Mitzay Shabbos. Nobody has what to do. So you have a Malava Malka. Get into the food, huh? Okay. Yeah. So uh, the mission statement to rent as many cars as possible, that's a mission statement. In other words, I'm going to look at everything going on in this company. I can have 4,000 employees. Are you helping me rent as many cars as possible? If yes, you're in. If not, bye. Have a good day. Go find somewhere else. Sometimes you have Jewish organizations. They're so many years old. There's so many. There's already nobody already knows what they're doing anymore, or why they're doing it. Yeah. You got to start with the why. That's a famous expression. You got to start with the why, then with the what. We often start with the what, and we hope that from the what you get to the why. Now it's very hard to start with the why, because the why is very deep. The what for the what? Okay, now uh, we need a coffee machine. Let's buy a coffee machine. Why do you need a coffee machine to rent cars? Maybe you do, but explain to me why. And sometimes you'll see you'll eliminate a lot of positions. You don't need it. It sounds good. It looks good. Everybody else has it. You don't need it. Now, this is sometimes this is brutal work because you really have to be disciplined. You understand what I'm saying? You don't see what it has with Saiviv? So what's the difference between the two positions? The difference between the two positions is the first position, the manager, whatever the right word for him is, but I think manager is pretty good, must focus on every employee under his or her authority as a distinct individual. And I'm talking about the person who's involved in hiring and positioning and within each individual, their framework, their schedule, their timeline, their responsibilities. And if something goes wrong in a detail, he has to tune into it. And if you're not ready to do that, you can have beautiful mission statements. A lot of people have the opposite. They have mission statements all day. I know a person, he's a visionary. He probably built 60 corporations, but only on paper. <laughs> in his mind, he's gewaldic. He's visions and he ima- and it's brilliant. But when it comes to implementation, execution, forget about it. Why? Because execution is very, very hard. Soif Maisa, to get, it's very nitty-gritty. And then there's the overhead. It's, you know, migrate headaches and headaches and headaches. Details are difficult. And, and on artists and visionary people hate details. They go crazy. To certain people, you start talking to them details and numbers, they'd rather die. They just shut down. I, I just can't, they can't handle it. It's just, sorry. It's like, this is not for me. I can't exist. They live in a different world. The synthesis between the two is very, very vital. It's vital in a family, it's vital in every community, in, in everything. So one focuses on the details, 
One has to focus on the individuality of every piece, and one can't focus on the individuality of every piece. Because we don't, most of us don't have the, some do, but most of us don't have the mental space to be able to function on both levels simultaneously on a maximum level. You could, that's a kind, you could deceive yourself like some people do, but you see immediately the results. Is within and But there's one more difference, one second, there's one more difference between the two. And that is, how they look at each individual. The manager looks at each individual and you say, who is this? And he says, ooh, this is Pliny, Almoini. He has this, these talents and these skills and these contributions and this is what he does and he comes in at eight and he said, who is this person? This person is about this person with all of his unique components Usually virtues and vices, because having an employee means acknowledging their virtues, if not why you're hiring them, but also acknowledging the fact every person has idiosyncrasies, right? The only people that I know who don't have idiosyncrasies are Mashagas, not the people I don't know. I told you present company is always excluded. So it's, it's a relationship to the person. It's a relationship to the person. If you'll ask the, the, the CEO, what's the definition of this person and this person and that person? What's the definition? Definition is <laughs> they're part of what makes this business a success story. <laughs> they may know a few names under them, you know, middle management, but ultimately I look at you and what do I see? What do I see? You're part of a collective entity. Now, which one is true? And we all understand they're both very true. They're both very true. And they're both necessary. Now I'm going to ask you another question. All this are people, is about people who are running a company. Now this is a little bit of an abstract question. Not such a literal question. What happens if this manager and CEO were not just managing or running a business? Huh? But they were actually creating the employees. Their vision, their perspective was the life force, yeah, that created these entities. They don't create through words or thoughts. They're just running their companies. The people are there before, obviously. But imagine they weren't only creating a business. They were creating the characters, the robots, yeah, which we will soon have with artificial intelligence. They're basically going to be creating their employees. Not yesh mayayin, but uh, they'll basically be creating them. Yeah. So their vision of their employee is who their employee is. In reality, it's not like that. I may be your boss, but I'm not creating you. I'm not, I'm not molding you. I know you and I have to deal with you, for good or for better. But what if my vision of you actually makes you? What would the employees look like if the CEO uh, created them or if this manager created them? Huh? Like the characters you create in your daydream, right? The characters you create in your daydream. They're your creations because they don't exist. Vaharaya, the moment you stop dreaming about them, they're not there anymore. (laughs) But imagine you're creating this company in your mind, which Jews always do. The problem is it's only in their mind often. 
and you have all these people, and you decide that you're not going to have three employees on the use, a pasnash, 3,000 minimum, 20,000 is already success. You can create them all in your mind. What do they look like? What do they look like? Exactly. They look like they're a reflection of your thought process, of what you need. So this is a psashtikal. I'm saying a shtikal because I'm not completely comfortable with the marshal for many reasons, for a few reasons. To understand memala kalaman and tzayv kalaman. It would be different people. For the, because the agenda is different. For the CEO, all people essentially would be identical. Because they all have one point, And that is, they fulfill the mission statement. I see you and I see my mission statement. That's what I see. And you're part of that mission statement. The manager sees the person and the CEO sees what the person can become. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. The manager sees the person, the CEO is looking at the potential or his... his. Yeah, yeah. You ever, you ever, you ever had a symphony? The symphonies, sometimes hundreds of... Of musicians, hundreds, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred. They have six hundred musicians. It's 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 not simple to produce a symphony with six hundred musicians and different instruments, and sometimes dozens and dozens of different instruments and different personalities, and everyone is sitting. This one with the cello, and this one with the piano, and this one with the trumpet, and this one with the violin. And this one with the drums and this one, etc., etc. And then you have the conductor. You ever saw the conductor? He never faces the crowd. He has this funny stick in his hand. Erspringt. He jumps. Erschwitzt. He, he never says a word. You know that. Conductor, you don't hear a word. Yeah. And he runs. But the main thing is he's sweating. And nobody knows why. What is he doing? I remember when I saw it the first time I was a little younger. I wonder what this guy is doing. He runs, he jumps. When it finishes, he takes the bow and he gets the applause. <laughs> he didn't play a single instrument. He just stood there and jumped. You ever see with the hands that spring that life? That this act. He runs, he runs, he looks. He's going through an Ibelebinish. He's going through something, but he doesn't say a word. What's, what's the difference between the musicians and the conductor? If I'm a musician, I have to look at one thing. What? The notes. You play your notes. The conductor, what does he see? He doesn't see 600 musicians. He sees a symphony. I see a symphony. You're part of the symphony. You're part of the symphony. You're part of the symphony. Who is right? If the musician becomes the conductor, the conductor becomes the musician... Take your own organism, take your own body. What does your kidney think every morning when it wakes up? Actually, it's thinking even when you're sleeping. The kidney got to be a kidney, and the pinky got to be a pinky, and the nose got to be a nose. And if the nose comes one morning and says, you know, I'm enough, I had enough with smelling, I got to talk schmeck, 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 schmeck. I need a little vision. <laughs> And the eye says, I'm seeing too many things. I'm, I'm done. I, w- I like the liver. 
the pancreas. We know the type of korban it is. The, the, the success of the organism is the individual, unique chemistry of every limb and organ that is absolutely unique. Its function, its purpose, its makeup, its composition, the way it processes the nervous system from the brain. The brain has approximately a 100 billion neurons, a 100 billion neurons with a 100 trillion connections, a 100 billion, and every neuron has its unique messages that it carries, its electricity, its currents, its waves, neural waves. The body has 40 trillion cells. I don't know if you know what that number means. It's not 40,000 cells. It's not 40 million cells. It's not 40 billion cells. It's 40 trillion cells in this little, little body that started off with one, with one cell and develops into 40 trillion cells. And a cell is not a, a little pebble, a little snowflake. Every cell itself is, is a, is a universe. A cell is a universe. You have 40 trillion, and every cell knows what to do. Huh? <laughs> and then, and then regenerates. How many what? Oh, I don't know. Let's Google them. So bored, I'm not. I'm sometimes bored to look up these things, but not just as a... I know that the black hole that they took a picture of was 55 million light years away, and they got a picture of it. That That's impressive. <laughs> 55 million light years away, and they got a picture. That, you got to... Uh, <laughs> credit is due where credit is due. Uh, <laughs> and it's 25 million uh, miles. Uh, the width of it is 25, I said million, 25 billion miles. And on the picture, it looks like a bagel. Mummish like a bagel. 25 billion miles looks like a bagel in the picture. How flew a fella? Probably is. Yeah, well, relative to, infin- relative to infinity, it's smaller than a bagel. <laughs> Eight telescopes. Yeah. And that's the uniqueness. You'll you'll ask a frog, who are you? Now, frogs don't have identity crisis like people. That's why they don't go to therapy, right? Ayeka was a question asked to man after he ate from the Eitzadas because he didn't know who he was anymore. So the first question that God asks Adam after the Eitzadas is, where are you? Which is not just geographical, geographical question, as Rashi puts it, but as the famous story of the Balatanya where are you? Who are you? Where Where are you inside? Do you know where you are? And that question, huh? what's your mission statement? Ayeka. Because it's it's so confusing. If we go around the table, yes, everybody, what is your mission statement in life? I, I know we can all give the generic mission statement. I want to have a good life. Yes. We all want to have a good life. Normal people want to have a good life. I want to have a good marriage, and I want to have happy children. I want to have a good relationship, and I want to be successful, and I want to be emotionally wholesome, etc. And if you're a good Jew, you're going to say, I want to serve God. (laughs) But what's your mission statement? Ayeka. Ayeka. Frogs know their mission statement. Mosquitoes know their mission statement. Bees know their mission statement. Look at a bee. 
for a few hours and you'll see bees don't have self-doubt. <laughs> unless you're playing with the, unless you take a bee into your laboratory and you start playing with his brain. They know exactly what they're here for. They, they're alive for 30 days and they have one job to serve the queen. A, B, to get nectar and bring it to the beehive, create honey so they could survive in the winter and create a new generation. Very clear. Every blade of grass knows its mission statement. Every tree knows exactly why it's here when it never gets confused. It knows exactly what to do, when to do, how to do. Every creation knows it. It's instinctive. There's no ayeka. We know, they all know what to do. That's true. <laughs> but they know what to do. Number one, self-preservation. Number two, propagation. Uh, procreation. Continue the species. And number three, there's a certain enhancement that they each give to the environment and the world around them. If we would only be able to live that way, you know, three things. You gotta live, you gotta bring in a new generation, and you gotta make the world a better place. We would be good people. Really? When you eat cheesecake, how are you doing that? The conductor. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's the old anecdote, you know, Chaim Yankel had a business and he had a lot of employees and it was a few difficult years and uh, he was walking around with terrible anxiety and stress and everybody was worried for him and uh, his wife was worried, the doctor was worried, everybody, his friends were worried and then one day he walks into the to the office and he's all smiles. They say, what happened? So he says he saw an ad that you can hire somebody to worry. You have, there's a job, you give a person, his job is to worry, and he decided to do it. So he said, I hired this and this person, and he's going to worry about everything going on in this job, in this business, and I don't have to worry anymore. And wow, that's wonderful. And how much does this guy take? He says, the first year is $150,000, and then there's benefits that come, but that's the first year. So the guy said, I don't understand. You're barely covering payroll now. That's why you're so stressed. How in the world are we coming up with $150,000 to pay this guy? So that's his first worry. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing he ought to worry about. That's what he's going to have to deal with. So, yeah. Every limb and organ, like a jigsaw puzzle, has its shape and its design. The moment the limb and the organ says, I'm not going to be me anymore. Who, me? Bittle. <laughs> You're gone. You destroy the organism. Or at least, if it's if it's vital organs, it could be catastrophic. But now, all the organs come together. They have a big asifa. The arms, the biceps, the legs with its big muscles. And they say, you know, up there in the ivory tower, there sits a little gangster, a mafioso monster. 
are garnished as it's a little piece of jello. Yeah? Two pounds, maybe three pounds. A garnish with garnish. Yeah? With one trach, with one frask, um, he's done. But he thinks he's a dictator. He tells us what to do. And he runs the whole show. Who is this little guy? And he calls himself a brain. So they come together and they decide. Chasal said the Pesach. No tyranny anymore. No dictatorship. Let freedom ring. We want to be self-actualized. And what do they do? They drill a little hole in the skull and they take out this little dictator and tyrant, this little Napoleon, who is as small and short as Napoleon, even shorter, and thinks he owns the whole world, and they throw him into the garbage. You all know the end of the story. The Hever Kaddisha comes to the house very, very fast. What did they fail to understand? <laughs> the real brain is not undermining their individuality. On the contrary. <laughs> the brain is giving each of them the purpose that they need to actualize themselves. Instead of being a piece of dead flesh, you're a hand, you're a heart, you're a leg, you're part of the miracle of life. But the good brain must always see the big picture. And one of the most unbelievable things of biology is compensation. The way the body, when it senses crisis, how it compensates. I don't know if you ever studied this. What happens when you when you prick your finger and it starts bleeding? What, what happened? What did the brain just decide to do? A person is running and out of breath. There's a danger. In every situation of crisis, how the brain, who always sees the big picture, chooses to compensate. It's an incredible, incredible mechanism. And these are not 10 mechanisms. There's, there's billions, trillions, zillions things it does in order, I don't know, trillions, I don't know the exact number, but things it does, but it always has to see the big picture. So now let's bring it back to the nimshal. This is all our different mishalom that I'm giving to bring out the point. We say the world was created through Hashem's speech. That's one world. Is a different world. What do I mean? It's a different world. It's the same world, but from different perspectives. Is the divine energy that creates and gives credence and legitimacy, and not just legitimacy, creation of every single creation as an individualized being. And every detail of who you are. And every nuance is significant. And it's all in the words of Hillel. Im anili mili. In Prikayavis, if I'm not going to be here for me, who will be here for me? If the eyes becomes the nose, and the nose becomes the ears, and the ears becomes the heart, and the heart becomes the pancreas, and the pancreas becomes the liver, and the kidneys become the abdomen, im anili mili. <laughs> but if I'm only for myself, then Moani, what am I? So which one is it? First he says, If I'm not here for me, who is here for me? Then he says, If I'm only for myself, Moani, what am I? Well, you just said, So the Mishnah says, The world was created through ten utterances. You could have created it through one utterance. The answer is, this is what he says, 
to give rewards for tzaddikim, who maintain a world that was created through ten utterances, and to pay back the wicked, the Rishayim, who destroy a world that was created with ten utterances. If the world was created with one utterance, with one dollar, it's not such a big deal. But God, ten utterances, ooh, what's the question, what's the answer? <laughs> Strange answer. Not only that, the Medrash Shmuel asks a question, yeah? If I deceive you, and I sell you a watch that's worth four dollars, and I sell it for $25,000. I tell you this watch, it's worth $4. Okay. And you pay $25,000. Nebuch, you were duped. Somebody takes the watch and breaks it. <laughs> what are they mechuyiv to pay? Four bucks. That's what they mechuyiv to pay. The fact that you were deceived, the good is an isra, I know. But the value is the value. <laughs> it's $4. You pay for a cup of coffee, somebody deceives you that in America, a cup of coffee, yeah, in Starbucks, how much do they charge for coffee, yeah? Whatever they charge. <laughs> if the coffee is worth 50 cents, I pour out the coffee, I owe you 50 cents. Ask the Medrash Shmuel, I don't understand. If the world could have been created with one mimer, so that's its worth. So the fact that you chose to create it with 10 mamars, it's not my problem when I destroyed it. The Pshat is, it's a very deep Mishnah. What's the difference of Asara Mamaris and Maimarechot? Asara Mamaris means there's diversity. Diversity. Every creature is its own thing. Mamalukalaman. Bidvar Hashem. Dibur. What does Dibur do? It all comes from the breath. But we have the Hey Sapeh, the five sources of letters. And we have the 22 letters from Aleph through Tav, and each letter has its own energy, which creates its own chemistry. And then there's Gematrius and Sirufim and Chilufim, the letters exchanged in many, many different ways, and as a result from the 10, you have endless numbers. But then you have Koyla Shechafetz Hashem Asa, Ratzon, will, mission statement, desire. What's the purpose? What's the objective? Here, the world is one. It's Maimer Echad. But Maimer Echad, Yochel Yibaris, means Hashem could have created the world. And when you would look at the universe, you wouldn't see the diversity and the distinctiveness and the individuality. You would see oneness. Why would you see oneness? Because the conductor doesn't see 600 musicians. He sees a symphony. You contribute to the symphony in your way. I contribute to the symphony in my way. But if the world was created only from soiviv, only from makif, what would be the toichen of the world? Not the world. The toichen of the world was, I'm a facilitating the divine symphony. What's now the toichen of the world? I am I. <laughs> That's the difference. Mamale gives the world, every part of the world, its own toichen. That's called chayis pnimi. If there was only Saiviv, what would the universe look like? Could have been exactly the same world. But what would you feel? What would your experience be? That you are, who are you? I'm, I'm just an expression of the mission statement. Which means there couldn't be Tzadikim and Rishayim. Because it's my Echat. There couldn't be that. Now, there is the choices that every person has to make. Because, I can allow my I to remain limited within my I, and I'm not part of a collective energy. Which is true? Which is true? What's the answer? (laughs) 
That's what Mamali and Sevav means, that they're both divine, they're both true. They're both true. If you look at the world only from a perspective of Makif, you're not saying the full truth. Because Hashem chose Mamale. If you look at the world only from a perspective of individuality, you're not saying the full truth. Because there's something called Saivav. So when we say there's an earth that's Makif, it surrounds it. What does it mean it surrounds it? It doesn't mean it surrounds it. It's inside also. But that's the difference that we're explaining Ur makif doesn't mean it's not inside. <laughs> the conductor, the brain is inside the body. The conductor is inside the auditorium. <laughs> the CEO is inside the office. The CEO knows every chair and every computer and every garbage can. He knows what's happening. He took a tour many times. What it means is it's not limited and it's not restricted to the particular design and toichen of every individual. It's makif everything. It encompasses everything b'shava. We have an expression in Shoshani Yom Kippur. Hashava umashva, katan v'gadl. Saivav kalamim. It surrounds the worlds. It doesn't mean it's not in the worlds. It's something that is not limited by the individual diversity of each creature. Now, if the world was a product of saivav only, what would you see? That's what you would see in the world. If the CEO would create the employees, what would you see? You wouldn't see an individual. You would see an indispensable part of the company. Now let me show you how these things could become dysfunctional, right? Some of you know this very well. Sometimes you can grow up in a community, and as people have told me, I never felt that I have any value. (laughs) My entire experience was, who am I? I'm just another uh, Boreg, uh, how do you say a cog in the wheel. Wheel. That's what, that's what I am. I'm a cog in the wheel. And if you fit into the wheel, we'll give you everything. The moment you stick out, you're conspicuous. We chop heads. We chop feet. You know, in Zdoim, they said they had one bed for everybody. If your feet were too long, no problem. They chopped off your feet. If you were too short, no problem. They stretched you. In the process, you died, but who cares? The main thing is the beds were filled. This is where Soiviv goes wild. <laughs> you understand? Like everything have a, has a source in Kedusha. In other words, talk about socialism. What's socialism? What's socialism? Wh- who are you? You don't exist. The state exists. And how many millions of Jews bought this? And you know why? It sounds beautiful. No jealousy, no ego, no competitiveness. It's a beautiful vision. Back to Kairach. <laughs> There's oneness. And let's face it, on some level it's true. Lashemar, it's a I own something. What do I own? What exactly do I own? <laughs> There's something I own. Lashemar, it's a But the same God who says Lashemar, it's a There's Hilchis Gneva, there's Hilchis Gzela, there's Hilchis Kinyanim. There's a mitzvah that you take your money and you give tzedakah. Which one? Which one is? Uh, which one is true? There were two Tanoyim who have arguments in a lot of places in Shas. Rabbi Yoshi and Rabbi Yonason. Rabbi Yoshi and Rabbi Yonason. Once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that if you look through the whole Shas and you study all their machlokes, you see that there's a there's a a thought process that pervades many of their arguments. And he did like uh, five or ten of their arguments. He showed it. And that is, in Yiddishkeit, 
there is yachid and there is tzibur. There is the individual and there is the collective. And each one has its place. But which one prevails? Which one do we accentuate? And he showed that this is their machlaikas and shas. Does yachid prevail or does tzibur prevail? Many, many arguments. So you, why is this? Because there's a truth in soiviv, but there's a truth in mamale. <laughs> it, there's a truth in it. But what would the world look like without mamale? This is what he's calling makif. It's an er makif. What's that an er makif? Not that it's not in the world. It's a type of er in which what's felt is the oneness, the uniformity. But Maimer Echod, that's Koila Shechofetz Hashem Mosa. It's this harvest that comes from Rotson. What's for this harvest that comes from Rotson? That in everything, what do you feel? How are you part of the Rotson? How are you part of the purpose of the mission statement? But once it comes through the Asara Mamaras, now, what does the grass say? I'm a blade of grass. What does the elephant say? I am an elephant. That's who I am. That's who I am. And what does human beings say? I don't know who I am. Help me figure it out. <laughs> but that's who I am. I'm the confused species. <laughs> I'm the Ayeka species. And the bee says, I'm a bee. And the star says, I am a star. Who am I? My toichen is. My toichen. That's a, that's the Chiddush of Mamale. Bees is the that's true. <laughs> like ants and bees, a lot of collective thinking within that species. That's true. That's true. That's true. The human being, those who are the, the great believers in evolution, that after billions and billions of years, we finally developed our brain, right? The funny thing is that after all these years, we are the creature, it's the creatures who can't figure ourselves out. Somehow everybody knows what to do. The horse never has these issues. I never went to a sheep and said, do you want some babka? And the sheep said, I would love, but next week we have a wedding and there's pictures and, and, and I have to look good in the pictures. Do you respect so Humans did figure out how to do our collectively, so that's why we transmit that uh, information. That's true. That's true. And we, we also developed hospitals and, 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 and we built, we built, uh, gymnasiums and theaters and we split the atom and we landed on the moon and we took pictures of the black hole. And that's the brilliance of the human being in terms of inner identity, of inner identity, who I am, what's my mission statement, what's my purpose, is there such a thing as purpose? Am I a random error, a random mutation, and an infinitesimal blimp on the surface of infinity? Or is there some value to my life? We're each trying to figure that out. So, so, so Soiviv encompasses the structure. The whole structure is, so to speak, surrounded. Surrounded not in spatial terms. Surrounded in content. It's an akuda that's not detailed-oriented, meaning it doesn't give legitimacy to the prat as prat. The nakuda of the prat is that it's klal. Klal gets, doesn't get different messages. It gets one message, this is who you are. Yeah, 
Yeah. I, I'm not even sure the cow ha- looks to find out who it is. That's a big argument among naturalists. How much is there self-awareness in animals? Perhaps there's not even, in other words, we, we look at it, I have to know who I am and justify what I'm doing, right? But your refrigerator doesn't ask you who it is because it's a refrigerator. So it's a big question about animals, how much self, today they say there's much more self-awareness than we imagine, right? But uh, the, the, the Pasuk says, Chamoy, uh, what's the Lashon? Yada shor keneyu v'chamoy evos ba'olov. The ox knows its, its, uh, its owner, its master, and the donkey at least knows the trough. The avos is the, what's it called? The trough where the, it, it knows, it knows where the food is, huh? Avis, very good. I think they say from the Chidush Harim, it's a why does a mitzvah eat past shachrus after davening? Because after davening, you should have a meal. So he says, by davening, you try to get to know God a little bit. He says, So we say, okay, at least eat breakfast. So it'll be at least the pchin of yada sharkeneyo v'chamer evos ba'olav. At least as an ox and as a donkey, you'll get to know your master. Mela, not from davening, but at least from the food, you'll get to know who your master is, yeah? L'chalapach's breakfast. L'chalapach's breakfast, huh? Like a donkey and an ox. You should eat what donkeys and oxes, which will be a better breakfast, by the way. Be a better breakfast. So you teufus the nekuda. So now, so in each moment of life, you have both. Both are true. You're a complete individual. And the focus has to be imein anili mili. That's mitzad mamale. And that's very real. It's very authentic. On the other hand, is the truth of Saivif. It's two layers of existence. I could put on the glasses of Mamala Kalalman, and what do I see? I see diversity. I see individuality. I could take off the glasses of Mamali, put on the glasses of Saivif, and I see complete oneness. And that's why Mamali is the source of Chayus Pinimi. What's what Chayus Pinimi? Chayus Pinimi is, we feel distinctive. Why do we feel that way? Because Soiviv went through Mamale. If it wouldn't have gone through Mamale, we would experience it from the conductor's place. We don't experience it that way. We could learn about it. We have glimpses of it. There's a part of the soul that is rooted in Soiviv. Now you have to understand, and this is the final point, Nasa Adam B'Tzalmenu Kidmuseinu. The human being was created in God's image. So Soiviv and Mamale is not just in God. It's also in us. There's the element of the soul that is a product of soiviv. There's an element of the neshama that's a product of mamale. The, when there's the, the part of the neshama that's a product of mamale sees the world from mamale's place. The part of the neshama that's a reflection of soiviv sees the world from soiviv, some soiviv's place. So both experiences are completely authentic in, in, in the human, in the human heart, in the human soul. Both definitions of the world, even though they often collide with each other, are very real definitions. And of course, needless to say, the CEO and the manager are two separate people. It's usually very hard to have one person who fills those roles, especially when you're dealing with a company as large as our universe. And that's only the physical universe, never mind the spiritual universe. Sayyid and Amali are not really two separate people and two separate things. It's Hashem Echad, it's oneness. The marshal, I'm using two people just to bring out the two, the, the two forces, the two dynamics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the marshal that I said yesterday, the teacher and the military commander. Think about it in those terms. Yeah. The military commander says, yeah, the chief of staff, 
the chief of staff or the commander-in-chief says, March! And a million people are marching identically. And when you look at it, what do you see? You don't see individuals. You see an army. It's a clapped. And it, 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 it's very powerful. We all know it's very inspiring because the synergy, the one person marching doesn't have that power. But a million people, it's the, the momentum, the intensity, the power. That's the power of the collective, which by the way, dictators manipulated and used. I mean, you come from the Soviet Union. They would, they would do the anthem of the country and make these parades and all the simple people were oh, blown away. That's again, that's where these things become sadistic and barbaric and manipulative and so on and so forth. It's when leaders use the power of collective to advance their own agendas or in the famous expression, an animal farm, we are all equal, but some of us are more equal than others. That, of course, undermines the trust in it, which, by the way, that's how individualism in America became so powerful, because to trust the collective, you have to have people on the top who you could trust, and usually people on the top manipulate the power. So it's all about me, 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 me. It's all capitalism, right? It's all me, 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 me. So it's a very, very sensitive, extremely sensitive balance. So the military, the, 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 the commander in chief says, march, and they're all marching. Now, if one one soldier says, yeah, but I'm having an identity crisis and I'm having a philosophical question, now you march. But the teacher in the classroom, <laughs> if he says, march, <laughs> maybe good for exercise, but that's not a class. A class is a very different concept. The class is, if the, if the, if the student says, I have a question and I'm struggling with something, that's exactly where you want to be and that's exactly where you want to stay. And every person is completely different. It's a, it's a, you're tuning in to a completely different matzav. Here, you're recognizing the person as separate. Who are you? You are you. I am I. But, and that's what makes you a good teacher. If you're not, if you, that, that's what, that's a pedagogue. If you don't have that skill and that sensitivity, you're not a teacher. You're a military commander. <laughs> Which some teachers are, actually. On the other hand, the military, the, the, the commander-in-chief says, who are you? You're a soldier in the, in the United States forces. You understood a little bit? Huh? It's clearer? Is it, is it she conducted her manager or she's CEO? CEO? Yes, it looks like CEO is the guy who makes the theater. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the titles are accurate, but I meant the conductor as the the big picture. And he doesn't say a word. You know why? Because if he would say a word, he would take away from what his job is. And he doesn't play an instrument. He's not the details person. He stands there and sees the synchronization of it all. Rabbi Litzman, if I state. Okay. But isn't the second I understand, I don't have... Is it, is it a player? What? If I understand it, I'm missing something. <laughs> no, like... That's always true. <laughs> That's always true. Listen, we try to understand what we could. We don't understand it fully, but... It seems like two totally separate systems, but how do they connect? How do they connect? How do they connect? We live in our everyday lives. Right. 
business, you explain so much how we can't work together versus in life it has it's to work together. Yes. It's not, the muscle is not that universal. Because the truth is, in business, it has to work together. The CEO and the manager have to always meet and be in full cooperation with each other and respect each other. They can't do what the other person does, but they have to fully, fully uh, trust each other. Marshall, the manager says, you know, this person is really incompetent and I need to hire a new person. And that means a new salary. But this person that I want to hire needs to get an extra hundred grand. That has to go to the CEO. You know what I mean? And and that's where he has to. And now, if he's going to start investigating and interviewing and well, taking over the job, it's not. They're just going to rent more cars, right? To help the business, right? So there's always there always has to be that trust and language and cooperation. Okay, that's in a business. When we're speaking on 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 uh, on um, on a spiritual level, it's really one. Sayyid and Amali are not two separate things. It's really one. In other words, in every nakud in the world, both are very true. They're they're both very true. There's the yachid as a yachid, right? And there's the yachid as, as essential and indispensable to the, to the tzibur on so many different levels. Speak about a family. Who am I? Am I a son to my father? A son to my mother? A brother to my brothers? A brother to my sisters? An uncle to my nephews and nieces? Right? A husband to my wife? A father to my kids? Or I am YYJ. <laughs> Who am I? You know how many younger lights struggle with this, right? You understand what I'm talking about, right? And what's the great crisis a lot of people have is, I never felt that I'm, 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 a, I'm just a son to my father. I have to continue my father's traditions. That's all, that's all I am. There's nothing else. And it drives them crazy. And they have to rebel. Because <laughs> to be me... I have to say, I'm not connected to you. Maturity means, no, I'm a son to my father. I'm always going to be a son to my father. And that's not a bad thing. (laughs) Sometimes it could be dysfunctional, but who am I? I'm part of a community. I'm part of a family, yes. (laughs) I got from my family. I'm here only because my mother and father, I mean, and I give back to my family. I came from them. Everything in the world gives and takes. There's nothing that doesn't give and take. The tree takes sunlight and turns it into glucose, turns it into sugar, right? It gives us the oxygen that we could breathe, yeah? We inhale, yeah? And everything gets cleaned. Everything gives and takes. There's something called the, what's called the food plant, huh? the cycle, right? The animal dies and it becomes nutrients for the earth and then it grows and then the animal eats it and then that animal gets devoured. Everything gives and takes. I say, by me it stops. I only take. (laughs) I want to be an individual. How do you become an individual? Because your mother and father, you don't owe them anything? Of course I owe them. That's But if my whole identity is, whatever my father says, boo, I jump. There's nobody else. Is that true? Don't they have a soul? Don't they have a personality? (laughs) So which is true? Am I a husband or am I an individual? A lot of husbands go crazy. I'm an individual. I have my needs. Right? Am I a father to children or am I me? Right? Am I a brother to my brothers or am I my own person? 
You get the point? It's not easy. Because, because in, in many of our lives, one has to give way to, one gives way to the other. But that's the whole, the, the beauty of this idea of the Alter Rebbe is that both truths are real. <laughs> They're real descriptions of reality. In other words, if I deny my individuality, I am denying God. If I deny that I'm part of a larger reality, I'm also denying reality. You understand what I'm saying? You're not doing anybody a favor by destroying your individuality for the sake of the collective. Because then you're denying Mamala Kalami, you're denying the fact that God wanted you to be you. The world needs you as you. Not only you as a cog in the wheel. That too. Bistoifus. Among other things. It's not his only issue. Saviv Amali is not his only thing. What is it? I mean, I don't want to try to make it as a box because then I'm stuck again, but what is it so much different than the Tao? Than what? Than the Tao. To be in the Tao. Like. There's this, uh, I don't know, Chinese. Tao the Ching. No. What? I mean, what is, isn't... You're now into the Tao. I don't know what I'm into. I'm just learning... Ayaka. Yeah, I'm, I'm, fi- I'm still trying to figure out that I don't know what to figure out, but, like... Yin Yang. I'm just saying the word... Well, what happens is, when people are in a vulnerable place in life... Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to get uh, swept away by anybody who sounds like they have this, some spiritual truth of existence. You know what I mean? Because we're vulnerable. And a lot of us are very vulnerable. We feel that in our education we never got a healthy identity. And we're very, very vulnerable. And... It's very easy to get lost here and there. From uh, you always have to be vulnerable to truth. I've been learning this for twenty-five years, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm resulting. At this year for twenty-five years, this year is not going on for twenty-five years. I'm saying this, I'm saying there are people learning the Peter Torah and even Chemish, and I mean. They could be learning Lakota Torah, but is Lakota Torah learning them? It's a big difference. You understand? So it's a completely different thing. <laughs> they could be learning Lakota Torah Gansatog, but does Lakota Torah learn them? Does it teach them? I think the difference between Tao and this, or when it comes from the bottom up, we're very coming from above now. It sounds the same, but it's not. Okay either way, I'm just trying to. <laughs> Get to the truth. The trying to get to the truth. Trying to be in that. To be in the, in, in the alignment. Balance, in the alignment. And now, in the truth. If if you look for that, I don't know if you have to figure out now all the differences. 
Lubavitch Rebbe once told a story that his father-in-law was on a train in the 1920s. And uh, they were traveling on the train. It was in Russia. And uh, I don't know if it was first class or second class, but it was, a, it was a lot of Jews there. And it was a long train ride. You know, one of these long train rides from Moscow to... Uh, I think he was in Leningrad. He was going to Moscow. It was one of these long train rides. And there was a huge argument on the train. A bunch of Jews were arguing. This was the years after the Bolshevik Revolution, Communist Revolution. And millions and millions of Jews were supporters of the socialist ideology and the communist ideology. Millions. Both in the Russia and in the West as well. It was very, very tempting, the idea of Achtos and Sibur. Uh, today, you know, many of them are smarter because it created hell on earth, literally. Hell on earth. Uh, killed more people than probably any other system. But it's not, it's not for no reason, by the way, they, they supported the revolution because they wanted to build the new world. Because the old yeah, the old world was horrible. Horrible, horrible yeah. We're not judging them. It, it sounded so beautiful. No Jews and Gentiles, no anti-Semitism, no distinctions. It was like Mashiach for them. If they could build the, the world they wanted, Karl Marx's world, it was Messianic. It was, the Rambam says, when Mashiach comes, no jealousy, no war, no competition. Amachaya, everybody has everything. Yeah. So, um, so there was a huge debate in the train. What's the shit of Torah? One group of Jews that says that Torah, if Torah would build a society, it would be socialist. And they brought a hundred proofs. Peya and Leket and Shikha and Meiser and Truma and Koyanim and Leviim, you know, and Koyanim didn't even own land, and Leviim didn't own land, you gave them everything, and and the whole system of Yiddishkeit with with, with Stoke and Gaboy Stoke and Tamchoy and Altifish Menatzibur, and it's all collective and socialist. And the other side argued, no, Judaism is a capitalistic uh, system, there's ownership and there's acquisition and there's individuality and they're arguing back and forth which one is the Jewish approach so the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe the Rebbe Rayatz was sitting in the train doing his own thing so they decided they're going to ask him, they went over to him and they asked him what he thought so this is what he said very very powerful, he said every movement, every philosophy created in all of history by human beings is taruvis toivira is a mixture of good and uh, and not good and there's a klal it says in Kabbalah there's no good that's perfect it has its deficiencies and there's no evil it has its there's no negative it's just negative it has its toiv he says since a human being is mixed and we have a lot in us there's parts of the human being that are very positive, and then there's the toxicity that we have, the, the fears that we have, the insecurities that we have, the issues that we have, the selfishness that we have, the Yitzhahara that we have. So our movements reflect who we are. My, my, my thoughts, my inventions will reflect who I am. So he says, you'll have toiv and you'll have ra. You'll have parts of a movement that are wonderful, extra, and you'll have parts that are, that are toxic, that are destructive, that are ultimately not good. The elements of toiv in every political philosophy are rooted in the Torah. The elements of toiv in every political philosophy are rooted in the Torah. So that was his answer. I'm explaining now. So is Torah capitalistic or socialistic? His point was, you're not going to fit it into this or to that. 
In capitalism, there's toiv and there's ra. In socialism, there's ra and there's toiv. <laughs> I know which one I would choose, but there's, there's toiv in it. There's toiv in it. In fact, the welfare, uh, the facts that, the fact that we have today, uh, pensions and, uh, and, uh, Medicare and all that, these are socialist ideas that translated into capitalist, uh, right? We have, we have what to thank the socialists also. Etc. There's this toiv. Yeah. It's not absolute. Socialism absolute is not toiv. Capitalism absolute is also not toiv. It's very selfish. Shalish, shalish, shalach, shalach is toiv. Very capitalistic. The toiv in every movement originates in Torah. Because Torah is kulay toiv, because it's divine. It comes from the source of goodness. Human inventions are mixtures. Just like it's true with political philosophies, it's true with spiritual philosophies. You'll have toiv. You'll find toiv here, and you'll find toiv in this idea, and this idea, and this discipline, and this discipline. You'll have toiv. But there's also ra. Ra doesn't necessarily mean evil as, as evil as, as Hitler and Stalin. Ra means concealment, brokenness. It's broken. And that will come out after a while. Not, maybe not right away, after a while. You understand? That's the answer to your question. And from this, you'll understand about everything else. With that same perspective, I think you say, look at the Torah. The Torah as a whole. The Torah as a whole, and you There is the vision. That's A. Yeah. Another component has to do, and it's Haba Atali, with the teacher. Even the biggest gurus have egos. <laughs> and the ego comes out somewhere. Always. Oh, they don't exist, obviously. But yeah, but no, we, you have to have an ego to exist. Yeah, yeah. But there's an ego and there's an ego. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every guru has an ego. I can't say, I don't know every guru, but I mean, human beings have a Yitzhahara. Now, we have agendas, which is fine, because we're human. But you have to be able to identify your agenda. That's the difference. Yeah, nothing wrong with having an ego and an agenda. If I'm running a company, I have an agenda to make money, but it's very clear. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. <laughs> you told me the same thing a year ago, but you added it. If you don't find the uh, if, if you don't recognize it, if you only see the killer third, you know that it's not. Uh, once it becomes, you don't, you can't make the mistake. That's very socialism again. You know it's, yeah, you have to be careful. So it's, it's another very important idea. In other words, that spiritual leaders, yeah, also have Yetzirahs, which is fine. They're supposed to have. But when it's not identified <laughs> and the Yetzirah becomes part of the spiritual leadership, then it creates an infection that is very deep because because then what happens is that the good gets manipulated it gets contaminated because I use my toiv to conceal my ra ah? all these types of stuff huh? yeah this doesn't mean you can't get anything out of it fine that's much 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 more powerful that's a much, that's real communication when he can identify his weakness, yeah. I'm just adding another component in all of this. The people sometimes get swept up in the magic. Besides the fact that even if the person was as honest as they can be, there's Taivin Ra, because I'm a person. It's my mortal system. 
and you'll see how the world develops. 70 years ago, if you would mention abortion in America, it would be considered murder. Today, in many circles, abortion is self-actualization of women. What happened? How did murder become self-actualization? I'm just giving an example. Yeah. 60 years ago, homosexuality was considered an illness. Maybe not the person's fault at all, but an illness, something wrong. Today, it's almost hip. (laughs) In some circles, it's almost hip. So what happens? The answer is, in one, 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 one decade, something could be Kaidish Kadashim. The next decade, it becomes the epitome of evil. And conversely. And that's how things develop. There was, uh, there was a big philosopher in the 1960s who warned that the world is going to get overpopulated. And therefore, the right thing for couples to do is to castrate themselves. Not to have children. So there was a Jewish couple who did it, and after some years they wanted, to, they regretted it. They came to a rabbi whom I know, and uh, they shared this with them. <laughs> and he said, "You know, you saw this book in the 1960s of this great philosopher who decided that now you have to castrate yourself, and like idiots, you believed him." <laughs> but the, the Torah says you should have children. They said, yeah, but that's an old document. So you understand, this is what happens. You see a new a new theory comes out. For 10 years, it takes over the world. And then 15 years later, they find out, nishkeshtoige, nishkefloige. A theory, a guy theory. But people sell into it because it's the new fad. But it's a fad. Fads come, fads go. Sometimes there's a nekudov toiv, and you have to take out the nekudov toiv. V'chuli, v'chuli. First The Gemara says about Nadav and Aviyu, that what was their sin? They didn't have children. The Apostlech said they didn't have children. They didn't want to get married, they didn't want to have children. Then it says, They were drunk. And which one is it? They didn't have children or they got drunk? So, It's the same thing. People get drunk on ideas. It's beautiful, they're so high. There's one problem. It's not going to go over to the next generation. Just like when you're high, how long does it last? <laughs> how long does being high last? A couple of hours. You get high again? Okay, a couple of days. So some people do it for a couple of years. But what happens? There's nothing that's left over. You just wake up with a hangover. It's like you're getting a... Uh, every time I'm in a bad mood, I get drunk. Even uses the smoke smoking the tears. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> What's the idea? There's no children. Why is there no children? Because it's not MS. In, in the next generation, two generations. Okay, fine. You become irrelevant. You become irrelevant. You understand? Because it's not tapped into eternity. There's maybe good components there. And you should take out the good components. So, but you have to know what's the toiv, what's the da. That's, this is a general, a general, I'm giving you a general sheer in Ashkafa when it comes to all these issues. When you're learning from somebody, like you learn the Kodotayna, and you see that the person teaching it, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the Al-Tarebbe, is a Isha Laki. 
right? If you have a abyssal sensitivity, you, you, you could feel it, you can experience it. Yeah, this is what you could trust. It's Titus Emes. It's a channel for Ein Seif. All the Maimadim we learned here, we learned a lot of Maimadim. You ever feel ego? You don't even know who it is. Like, it's, you just, it's just a pure channel. Here's the old problem again. It's the same thing, just like, in a sense, it was, not that it's, it's content, you know, it's not Makabal Timu maybe, but in a sense, it was programmed, so it needs to be reprogrammed. So when I open up without listening. You're right. It's very abstract. You're right. That you're right. That you're right. That you're right. Because this is written in a language that most people don't understand today. You're right. That's true. For Gemara, you need a teacher. For Chumash, you need a teacher. For the Alter Rebbe, you also need a teacher. And when you have a teacher, you have to always know. A teacher can sometimes distort things too. I gave today a lot of Mashalim of Sevev Amale. I can't say they're accurate. That's why I said a few times, are they accurate? They're, I think they're, they're, they, they, they give some explanation. Are they fully accurate? The CEO, the manager? You understand what I'm saying? It's not a marshal that he says. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Well, if Andy would live in our time where so many ideas, yeah. Yeah. The language is already massive. The language is very progressive. And they had it before. There's a lotion he has in Tanya, in Shara Yichud Ve'amuna. Somebody sent me once, a few months ago, somebody sent me an email. A, a, I said it over, I think, a line from Max Planck. He was a great physicist. And he said that today in physics, he says, I don't see any more consciousness as a derivative of matter. Matter is a derivative of consciousness. Those were his words. You understand what that means? In other words, we always used to think, matter is matter. Gashmis is Gashmis. And then, this is how you think about it. He says, no. <laughs> Today, what makes it Gashmi is that you think about it that way. <laughs> Which is crazy stuff. This is what he's wrote in the 1940s. Yeah, he's he's one of the... He's one of the fathers of, of quantum physics, theoretical quantum physics. So uh, this person was very nispal. like, ah. So I uh, opened him up at Tanya, literally, Lahavdil, Shari Yechidvamuna, chapter three. It's just four lines, three lines. Literally, and I quote, this is not, uh, this is not my explanations, metaphor. I, I quote Mamash. Ilu nitnirushus la'ayin lirois. If the eye, would have the ability to be able to expand and see reality, if it would have permission, if it would have the ability to be able to see, or to put it differently, if the eye would be microscopic <laughs> and be able to have the lens to be able to pierce through reality, when he would look at something, yeah, even though it's physical, he would not see physicality. He would see consciousness. That's literally what he says. Mamish, those, literally those words. Without telescopes, without microscopes, without even knowing about cells or DNAs, what we know today. This is, you're dealing with the 17, you're dealing with, with 1700s. Even their understanding of atoms was completely different. It can only come from being in that place. I'm saying. You said? Yeah. So this source that we're tapping into here, 
It's from that place. So the guy who's who's promoting the Tao and, the, and these other Eastern religions, they they came from something. This predates it all. Now the Emma says that there's people who learn and learn Nagavalepaga doesn't affect them. The Rebbe Marash was the son of the Tzamach Tzedek, the fourth Lubavitch Rebbe. He once said, they say three things about people. He said, If you drink alcohol, vodka, you become drunk. Uh, wealthy people are crazy. He said, You learn chassidus, you get refined. He said, on all three there's a question. You see that there's people who drink and they don't get drunk. You see there's people who are wealthy and they're not crazy. And you see people who learn chassidus and they're not refined. He says, the answer is the same on all of them. Wasn't enough. If he would have drank more, he would become drunk. If he would have more money, he would become isgadled. The Rebbe Maharash. Rebbe Shmuel. The Hest? Huh? Yeah. So in all three, in all three, it's in Ishkinuk. In Ishkinuk. Huh? That's right, when you said, you guys learned it for 25 years, and it didn't affect No, no, this is uh, like, you spoke, he was saying it's vulnerable. So, so, so I was saying, like, no, but I, think, I know people, think that without name, that this is learning, all the public chuchem, kalatari kemavam. I think this is vulnerable to yourself, and all this other stuff is vulnerable. There's two types of vulnerabilities. There's vulnerabilities when you feel you can get hurt. And there's vulnerabilities that the more vulnerable you become, the more you get healed. That's a different type of vulnerability. Sometimes you're vulnerable in front of a person and he uses it. He finds, now he knows your secrets and suddenly next year when it comes to a shidduch of your daughter, you understand? Huh? He found out your weak spot, now he needs an investor. Whatever it is, and then you feel like such a shmata and you never become vulnerable again in your life, right? Most kids, a lot of kids in yeshiva, they asked a question at some t- stage. They made, they made fun of or got screamed at. What do they do? They'll never ask a question again. He was told he's an apikaitis. That's it. It's not like he asks. He doesn't ask from anybody. Huh? Okay. So, so that vulnerability destroys us because I, I took off my clothes and what did you do? You gave me malchus. Huh? Okay, I didn't want to say that. But yeah, that's a form of, 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 of rape. What, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the crime of rape? The crime of rape is you took somebody's vulnerability. Why it's children who are molested, it's so hard to recover. Yeah? It's different than other abuse because they were taken advantage in the most the most vulnerable, most sacred place. It's the most private place. Not, I'm not saying that getting smacked up and beaten is not abuse. And I'm not saying that people who were insulted were not. But sometimes it's equal, sometimes it's very, very powerful. I'm just bringing sometimes all three together, yeah. The lucky ones, right? Uh, but, uh, but, but so that's, so when, and in life also with adults, we have the same way. Now, sometimes we're vulnerable in the presence of, 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 of greater people, of spiritual people. I'm not talking about kanavim, gazlanim, shakranam. But nonetheless, sometimes even bedakus, not necessarily even intentionally, at the end you feel, you feel a little used. Yeah? But once in a while you become vulnerable in the presence 
of real truth, of let's call it Ein Soif, of Emes, which has no agenda outside of truth. And then you become healed. Because you can't become healed without vulnerability. If you're not vulnerable, how do you get healed? Right? If you're not ready to take off your clothes and show your doctor <laughs> what you have, how is he going to heal you? <laughs> they say that there was once two chevre in the hospitals, a goya and a Jew. And they both suffered from gout in their feet. You know, gout, uh, it's a result of diabetes, and it's terrible. It's very painful. The doctor comes into the Gentile. He says, let me see the foot that uh, has the problem. He shows him the foot. Doctor starts touching and poking, and he's screaming. It's very painful. He's screaming. Yeah. Then he goes to the Jew. He says, let me see. So he shows him his foot, and he pokes and looks. and He's quiet. A half an hour, he's quiet, leaves. The Gentile turns to the Jew. He says, how do you have so much self-control? He says, oh, I showed him the healthy foot. <laughs> Think I'm crazy like you? I showed him the sick leg. I showed him the healthy one. You understand? So uh, it, it, when we're not vulnerable, when I don't show my, my sick leg, I can't get healed. So vulnerability is a prerequisite for healing. But you want to be vulnerable in a place of complete, complete trust. And trust doesn't only mean, on one level, that the person you could trust. It also means the message you can trust. You understand? And it means that the person and the message are one. So it's a different level of vulnerability. And you feel it immediately. There's a vulnerability that, as you put it, it brings you closer to yourself. It, um, it, it makes you feel more wholesome. It res, huh? It's, yeah, you, 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 at the end, you're not a victim. You become empowered because the, the one, because the, the sort, the one who you were vulnerable, there was no manipulation involved, not even unconscious. If there's manipulation, even unconscious, you feel like a victim at the end. You come out and you know that you're a shmata and you were used and you say never again. Huh? Yeah. And the decision was made unconsciously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not, it may not, I'm not here talking about an abuser. I'm talking about even, uh, even, even somebody, but, but, but sometimes it's very idle, it's very subtle, it's very dark as dark. And, and at some point when you could trust, you have to be able to trust. Because if you never trust, then you never show the doctor your foot. So we should be critical who we trust, when we trust, and how we trust. But once you trust, you gotta trust. Because if not, if you always remain like this, when is the next time he's gonna, then, it's like, it's like, uh, right, I understand. Before you choose your spouse, you should be critical. <laughs> you don't just say, I'm married. But once you get married, if you're, every day you're gonna say, maybe you're not my wife, maybe you're not my, <laughs> you're not gonna grow. You know what I mean? If it's taka or a serious problem, then yeah, you're right. You, maybe taka not. Then you have to maybe separate chas v'shalom. But the point is, if it's the right person, now you gotta go, you gotta put your soul into it. If not, you're not gonna build anything. That's avoided, that's here, that's that, like, uh-huh. that's the surrender part. That's yeah, that's where surrender comes. But it's not a surrender that, 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 that destroys you. So you're Hashem Lechayim. It's not a surrender that destroys. Huh? No, yes. Again, yeah, we can be... Safe. Safe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine the infant. 
the infant, right? Nine months in the, in the womb of its mother. It's a safe place. And the infant is born with that safety. And when the infant is there, you know, you're uh, um, drinking the milk of its mother and you watch the baby falling asleep in the mother's arms, you see a safe world. And that's what civilization is based on, those moments. But the infants who didn't have that, right, they're scarred sometimes for life because that basic trust is gone. But imagine you would come to that infant and says, oh, who says you could trust your mother? She's just a selfish narcissist and find milk somewhere else. You're destroying the beauty of life. That's where the beauty of life is, that the infant sleeps and has no worries in the world. The mother is holding it and singing to the baby. right? And if you come to the baby and say, don't trust this person, this is a corrupt world. You're doing the greatest crime. Why? Yes, there are mothers who are crazy. There are mothers who are abusive. But there are millions of mothers who are, who are mothers. And, 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 and that's what gives their children the safety. So in Yiddishkeit, it's the same way. <laughs> David HaMelech was pretty much affected by, David HaMelech, can you give me that tillim over there? <laughs> I always, I'm taken by this posik. David HaMelech, was very, very, uh, he struggled terribly. We're going to learn in this Maimah, at the end of the Maimah, I don't know if you know, he was thrown away by his brothers and by his father. He was seen as a mamzer. His whole life he was, I don't want to use the word abused, but he was, uh, he says, Kuflamad Aleph in Tehillim, Nafshi kegomul alei imoy, kagomul alei nafshi. I always feel like an infant suckling, what's the word, suckling, from its mother. That's what my soul feels like. In other words, David HaMelech had a place where he can go to and just be completely like a baby, suckers, baby feeding off its mother's love and mother's milk. But you have to have that place. If you don't have that place, you're missing that sacred corner in life, that oasis in life. Now, many people never had that place, and they look for it everywhere. And they, sometimes people say, I'll give it to you. Right? But it's very hard for them to trust. And sometimes they do, and maybe they get hurt a little bit again, even if it's not so intentional. But then, once in a while, come a Kuflam and Aleph, 131. It's very powerful. Look in the English translation or the Russian translation. And this is at the end of Tehillim. David HaMelech went through all of his crises and this. But he had that. So sometimes once in a while you meet that source of light where you could be completely, completely naked, so to speak. Emotionally, I mean. Spiritually, psychologically. And... uh, you're safe. And the reason you're safe is because there's no manipulation, there's no agenda, there's no, nobody's making like, you know, there's no, there's no pilpul. It is. And you could be. It's a place where you could be, where he or she or that wants you to be. And it's, it's, it's about that empowerment and that discovery 
of who you really are. And when you see that, and when you sense it, and when you experience it, you come home, you're, you're, it's different. Can it be proven in a laboratory? I'm yeah, not sure. It's irrelevant. You, people know. It, it, it rings true. It resonates. It feels right. Now, maybe everybody is manipulated. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you can argue forever that everything is a lie and everybody's a manipulator. But as the expression is, Nikarim divrei emes, at some point, lies come out. It comes out. It could take 70 years, but it comes out. And emes also comes out. <laughs> it also comes out. The Rambam, they burnt his svarim. Years after his death, they burnt his farm. Rishonim burnt his farm. Because of this. Huh? Couldn't sit on the hard drive before. The Marinavuchim, Sefer Hamada. And they meant well. They didn't mean, they felt that it's destructive for the Jewish people. Rabbi Nuyoyna wrote Shari Tshuva. You know, to do Tshuva for what he did to the Rambam. Rabbi Nuyoyna. Ad Hayom, he learned Shari Tshuva, was his own Tshuva for what he did to the Rambam. Yeah, Rabbeinu Yainu is one of the biggest loichamim against the Rambam. And then he realized he made a mistake, but look at, that's what, that's Rabbeinu Yainu was. He wrote a Sefer, Shari Tshuva, to do Tshuva. Rabbeinu Yainu. Yeah. It says in the Gomer somewhere? That's the tradition. I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's been authenticated historically, but that's what I heard many years ago. I read it many times. Made sense as a content. I was afraid of it. was a big fighter against the Rambam. It says in many places. I've seen this in many places. I can't say tell you that I can't swear on it because it's not like he wrote it himself. But that's a, it's a well known tradition. Maybe it's a theory. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it is true. My point is this: today the Rambam, yeah. There's the chayis of Klal Yisrael, the yeshiva, Milan, Rambam, 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 you quote the Rambam, Azar. Yeah. Sometimes, in its generation, or even generations after, there could be a person, or a source, that people criticize, and burn, and make fun of. Now, you have to, in the life of the Rambam, in Yemen, they used to mention him in the Kaddish. B'chayeichen, uv'yemeichen, that's the respect they had for the Rambam. They mentioned them every time in Kaddish. In your life, his life and the Chayyab And in the Ashke, by the Ashkenazim, yeah, some of them were burning his father and put him in the. Huh? Yeah. So you have that in Jewish history, you have that sometimes in its generation or even generations sometimes after, people don't have the mindset to appreciate something. And then as time progresses, they look and they're like, oh my God, what did we miss here? So sometimes it takes time for people also to discover MS. It takes time. Yeah. Sometimes it takes time for people to discover MS. It's not so easy. Especially if they were brought up in a certain way and this cultural resistance and they heard a lot of stuff. It takes time for people to... Uh, to see truth, but th- those who represent truth are never worried about it, because if it's true, it's true. They don't they don't get in a spall from anything. 
they may be hurt and pained, but they don't they don't get deterred. Because if it's reality, it's real. It prevails. Reality is never afraid of reality. <laughs> you understand? Reality is never afraid of reality. Not reality is afraid of reality. Reality is never intimidated. Never intimidated. Reality can't be intimidated. For, 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 for authenticity, it's never it's never intimidated because it's authentic. You can't intimidate it. <laughs> you can't threaten it. It's reality. You could threaten it externally. <laughs> you know, a lot of, um, in Germany, they burnt books. They would always burn books. It says already, Joachim burnt Eicha, Megillus Eicha. You could burn parchment. You can't burn ideas. <laughs> You could burn the parchment. You can't burn... How do you burn an idea? Huh? You could burn the parchment on which truth is written. You can't burn the truth. It just doesn't work. You could try to burn it. It's not going to burn. If it's true, it's not going to burn. They think that the truth is only the parchment, so they burn the parchment. But if the truth is the truth, it's not going to change. Ani Hashem loishanise. When you find a Sefer, you find a source in Torah, you find a Rebbe, you find a teacher, a master, and you could feel like an infant in the bosom of its mother suckling the milk. So you stay there. <laughs> you stay there. It's simple. It's always simple. MS is simple. It could be a, a, a rav or a teacher or someone that is not perfect. They have a lot to give. Yeah. Or maybe someone thinks they're a little guy, but they yeah, yeah. It gets in the way of receiving the good from that person. Yeah. Be you want your teacher to be honest, not perfect. <laughs> if a teacher is dishonest, it's hard to be macabal from them. It's hard. But you know what? Sometimes there's also the concept of You have to take what's good and sometimes disregard other stuff, you know? You know what I mean? We have to. We don't want to limit ourselves. Sometimes great people have also great chesreinahs. We don't want to limit ourselves. And it's not a mitzvah, you know. Sometimes parents put down teachers to their children. And they don't always do them a service. You know, if, if somebody tells me he's going to a rabbi, and he's being inspired by that rabbi, or somebody tells you, and you happen to have a story about that rabbi, it's not a mitzvah. Like, he's getting inspiration. The rabbi is doing something good for him. Doesn't mean the rabbi is a perfect person, no. But you don't want to take away from a person his source of, of inspiration. As long as the rabbi is not manipulating him or distorting the information, but is if we give him something good, yeah, we, we're all imperfect in our own way. The question is not so much how imperfect we are; it's what are we teaching? Are we allowing our imperfections to distort our teachings? That's the difference. I may have a yitzhara, big yitzhara, and I may I have, but I have to always ask: Is it distorting the teaching? Sometimes it does unconsciously. 
But can you look for it? Can you identify it? So that's always the issue in teaching. We can't expect the teacher to be perfect. But if the teacher is distorting the teaching, his imperfection is contaminating the teaching, that's a disservice for the student. You know? This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.